0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at crossvillerevolution.com. You guys know that in your Christian walk and in following Jesus, that you go through some highs and lows. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. One theologian described it as following Jesus means that sometimes you're going to be in the penthouse emotionally, maybe physically, and sometimes you're going to be in the outhouse because that's what it is. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, and what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul and Barnabas throughout this chapter go through the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And through this, Paul and Barnabas are going to follow Christ through thick and thin, And where we're going to end up at the end of this today is we're going to end up at a place where we're going to be able to glean some leadership lessons specifically for pastoral ministry or anyone that seeks to start a ministry, but it will absolutely draw a line to if you're trying to lead your home or if you're trying to lead in your workplace and follow Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Now, just as a reminder, we are closing down Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, If you guys could put that map up for me. Um, Really, chapter 13 and 14 encapsulates what's known as Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, There's four of these that take place that we're going to go through. If you remember, we started over here in Antioch of Syria, the red line. We've went all the way through Salamis, Paphos, Perga. Last week, they were in Antioch. They got ran out of Antioch, pretty much running for their lives, and today, we're going to see them go to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and then, of course, they make their way back, and we'll start the second mission trip next week. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. We've got a lot to cover today, not a whole lot of time to waste. We're going to stop along the way, explain some things. are going to have to set it up pretty good for a few minutes, and then we'll get to a place that I think is really good. This is a pretty interesting chapter. Is everybody with me? Say, I am. At Iconium, verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they, listen to these next three words, spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Let me just give you a side note. The Scripture makes it very clear, and this should be very convicting to anyone that has the spiritual gift of preaching and teaching, that there is a way to speak effectively, which means there is also a way that you can speak ineffectively. Everybody with me, okay? Um, I I was watching uh, someone in Crossville stand on a street corner the other day, and I have no question that this person loves Jesus. I have no question uh, that the Lord told them to go preach the gospel. I have no question that their motives are good. They want people to get saved, and I'm not even saying they're sinning. I think it's a wisdom versus foolishness issue. I just don't think it's very effective, though, to stand outside people's car windows and tell them they're going to burn in hell in our culture today. Does that make sense by say amen. So there is a way, maybe 50 years ago that was effective in the United States of America, but it's not effective now. So there is a way to speak effectively so that people believe. Here Paul is speaking with authority and with power, but with love and with wisdom. In verse 2 it says, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, here's the sequence of events. Let's review. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time. Spent a lot of time on this last week. The sequence of events when Paul typically goes into a new city and starts to preach the gospel is the first place he goes is the Jewish synagogue. We told you last week why they go to the Jewish synagogue first. What always happens is a lot of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles get saved But then once those Jews and god fearing Gentiles get saved, there's jealousy that runs through the leadership of the synagogue, and they cause persecution to come on Paul and Barnabas. And we talked about really that idea last week, and we spent a little bit of time that success in ministry always creates opposition. The big idea is where God builds up, Satan shows up, and he tries to tear down. And so you need to know that. Verse 3, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Okay, A little bit of review today, but we're going to get into it. Verse 3, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Once again, here's the setup. Last week, if you remember, uh, when they were in a different city, it says that Paul and Barnabas, when people wouldn't believe the gospel dusted their feet off, and they left. And the point last week was sometimes the best way to help people is to leave. Totally different response here in Iconium. In Iconium, the scripture says they stayed longer when they faced persecution. Completely different response. You see, Paul, his ministry was really as a missionary. And Paul would travel around to these cities, and he would get people to get saved, and then they essentially would form a church because the church is the people. And Paul recognized that when he came into these cities, the preaching of the gospel caused great division and great persecution. And so Paul In an effort to strengthen and encourage and really help these new believers that make up the new church would stay in these cities as long as he could in order to establish these new believers and help them get their feet planted, so to speak. In other words... Paul and Barnabas, the reason they stayed is they were not just concerned about themselves. They wanted to assist, encourage uh, others in their struggle, and really help them get rooted in the gospel. It says also that when they stayed, God allowed them to use what's called signs and wonders. Now, this is a phrase that is sometimes used. Most of the time, this phrase is not used. And this phrase was used, and God would allow this to happen when the people were not believing as a result of rebellion. If they weren't just totally rebellious, sometimes God would allow signs and wonders to be used to cause people to believe. Now, I've told you guys the book of Acts uh, is very specific in that there's really roughly 30 miracles over the span of 30 years in the early church's history. Many people would try to make you believe that there were signs and wonders and miracles every single day. But really, specifically, there were 29 20 of those miracles were specific to one person, and nine different times they came in clusters of miracles, and they were referred to as they're referred to here as signs and wonders. Now, I want you to notice the sequence that's done here. The miracles don't happen first, and then the gospel's preached, the gospel is preached first. And then God allows signs and wonders to happen so that people believe. We talk about this extensively. We see this vein through the book of Acts. We don't seek out miracles. We don't seek to do anything. First and foremost, we seek to preach the gospel. And then maybe God will allow miracles to happen, signs and wonders, certain spiritual gifts and things like that. Does that make sense? Everybody say amen. Amen. And so signs points to Christ, wonders points to the effect that it had on those that uh, were healed or whatever. So verse 4, let's continue. I'm setting this up, okay? Verse 4, it says, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, other with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. When you see stone them, just substitute the word kill them. Very efficient way of killing people was stoning people. It was pretty much a death sentence. So they wanted to kill them. Verse 6, but they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas stay in Iconium as long as they can without getting killed. One theologian says, if miracles, the signs and wonders didn't persuade the unbelievers in my in Iconium, then martyrdom would serve no purpose. So they're being bold, but they're also being wise and they take off to a town that is roughly 20 miles to the south called Lystra. Now some interesting facts about Lystra. Number one, archaeological evidence suggests that the town of Lystra venerated or lifted up the two gods, Zeus and Hermes. They were really the patron gods of this city, and that's important for what we're going to read here in a few minutes. In fact, they found a statue in the middle of the city of Hermes with the inscription dedicated to Zeus before the town. In this town of Lystra, we know that there was no synagogue. Notice Paul doesn't go to the synagogue first, as was his his kind of tradition when he goes to a new city. You see, for a town to have a synagogue, it meant that there have to be a minimum of 10 Jewish men that would be there. We know that, for instance, Timothy is from Lystra, but Timothy's Timothy's mom was a Hebrew, his dad was a Greek, which means if he had any brothers, they may have been Greek as well. So we know that there was no synagogue; there wasn't a very strong Jewish presence there that worshipped the monotheistic, uh, had a monotheistic worldview, and worshipped the one true God. So because there was no synagogue, the Scripture tells us that Paul goes to the marketplace which was a very common place for philosophers and entertainers to go and speak and share their thoughts. And so he goes to the marketplace. He continues to preach the gospel in this city called Lystra that is almost exclusively a pagan city with pagan people. Lystrans were described as people historically that were generally uneducated, and also, according to the scripture that we're going to read, they seemed to be very gullible. This was a town that was full of military veterans, hardened military veterans, and mercenaries for hire. The people were described by historians as simple and fierce people that were half-barbarous. What I mean by half-barbarous is they were like barbarians, okay? They're, they were pretty fierce people. Keep that in mind as we continue to read this account of what happens in Lystra. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. In verse 8, it says, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. Watch what happens. This is so cool. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul As he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and called out, listen to what Paul says. Here's the kicker for everything. that This has a domino effect for everything that's going to happen. Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. If you were here when we preached out of Acts chapter 3, it was like the fourth or fifth week of this sermon series. Now we're on like the 23rd or 24th week. This was a long time ago you remember that there was an account where Peter heals a man outside of a synagogue that is almost identical to this account of Paul healing a man here in Lystra. In fact, let me read it for you. Acts chapter 3, listen to the parallels that take place. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts when he saw peter and john about to enter he asked them for money peter looked straight at him as did john then peter said this look at us so the man gave him his attention expecting to get something from them then peter said listen to what peter says silver or gold i do not have But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Similar terms, similar phrases. The imagery is almost exactly the same, and it makes the connection between Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 14 unmistakable. Some have speculated that Luke included this as to show the apostleship of Paul equaling the apostleship of Peter. We're going to talk about what apostleship means in the coming weeks. It's kind of confusing, another word that can be really confusing. There's really two different definitions for it. I'm going to lay it out for you in the coming weeks. But the big point of tension for what Paul did can be found in what they said to the person versus what Peter said to the person when the person got healed. Let me reread what Peter said. Listen to what Peter says. Peter looks at the man and says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Here's the key. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Paul says, very simply, stand up on your feet. Chuck Swindoll says this about Paul's statement. Paul's omitting the name of Christ in restoring the man's feet caused problems he didn't anticipate. Because no synagogue existed in the city, its citizens did not immediately identify the men as Jews, monotheistic worshipers of the God of Israel. Paul hadn't accounted for the cultural divide in this new missionary context. In other words, Paul making sure that this man in the crowd didn't know that it was Jesus who healed them and not him was a major mistake that Paul would never repeat again. Remember, Paul has been a Christian now for eight to ten years. This is his first missionary journey, so he's kind of learning on his feet, so to speak, and it's pretty widely accepted that everything that happens after this, Paul getting stoned, all the problems they come into, are a result of him not giving clarity when this man gets healed as to who's healing him. Now, we've talked about how preachers make mistakes and last week I told you a personal story about how uh, I made a huge mistake one time when I was speaking. Anybody remember that story? Super embarrassing. Someone was in a place where they couldn't stand up and walk and I was trying to get them to stand up and walk and tell them their legs were broke and all that stuff and it was embarrassing. Um, I can remember another mistake I made because preachers make mistakes y'all just like Paul did here. Um, I was a new preacher, been preaching about two or three years, and I was at the church that I was serving at in North Carolina, and I got to preach close to Christmas. I just remember I was preaching on Mary, and I don't know how, I was using an example or something, and I was talking about uh, uh, my wife and why we got married for some reason, and I learned a really hard lesson during this sermon when I gave an example about my wife that I didn't ask her beforehand if I could use. Okay, for some reason, I was telling them, "Yeah, me and Brooke." I, I said something like this, and she's sitting on the front row. Not right now, but at this sermon, uh, me and Brooke had to get married because she was lusting after me so much she was going to sin if we didn't get married. You know what I'm saying? And and I didn't check with her beforehand. And I just remember looking at her, and uh, she was not happy. Okay, so, needless to say, second service didn't use that example. Okay, so she was hot. Not like she was hot. She was hot like she was mad, okay? I'm not getting in trouble again. I'm not getting in trouble again. She was mad, okay? And I learned a hard lesson that day. Ask before and make sure she's okay. It's been said before that some people learn through reading and some learn by observing And then some people, man, they learn the hard way. They pee on the electric fence. That's me, y'all, you know. I peed on the electric fence that day. I learned the hard way. Like, okay, ask her before I mention her in a sermon. Paul learns the hard way here. And you'll never see him make this mistake again. He's so clear. Remember last week we told you how many times in his epistles the name Jesus or the name Christ? Over 600 times. He makes sure from here on people know It's not him doing this, it's Jesus doing this. Watch what happens as a result though. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city. Uh, The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. In the city of Lystra, remember, the patron gods are Zeus and Hermes. Isn't it interesting they're referring to them as Zeus and Hermes. There's a reason for that. There was ancient folklore that really the people accepted as historical fact. This ancient folklore would be like us talking about Abraham Lincoln or George Washington in our culture today. Like, this is fact. And the legend went that at one time, Zeus and Hermes came to the area of Lystra looking for hospitality from anyone that would give it to them, and they couldn't find it except for from one senior couple. And interestingly enough, uh, the senior male was named Philemon, not the Philemon of Scripture, but that was his name. And Zeus and Hermes made this couple trees that would live forever in the city, and then as a result of no one else showing them hospitality, they brought judgment down and killed everyone else in the city. The people in Lystra know this legend, and they accept it as fact, and so they're thinking to themselves when they see these signs and wonders and this man get healed, oh man, this is Zeus and Hermes, Let's not mess up and let them bring judgment down. Let's make sure that we show these gods the proper hospitality. Well, Paul and Barnabas, in the meantime, have no clue what they're doing. They probably think the people are really excited, they're joyous because of the gospel, but they don't know what's really going on because they can't understand what they're saying. In Crossville, Tennessee, we have a very unique people group in that we've got a lot of people that are from here, born and raised in the South. Where are my people at that are born and raised? You know, you're from the South or something like that. A lot of us are from here. But then we've got a lot of transplants, people that maybe in the last couple years you moved here to get away from restrictions or something, or or maybe you moved to Fairfield or Tansy to retire and you're from up north or something. Well, in talking to people that aren't from the South, a lot of them tell me that one of the things they have to learn when they move down here is the differences in the dialect and the language. That there are certain Southern slang terms and phrases that we say that when they first move here, they're like going, what in the world are you talking about? I don't even know what that is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. For instance... If you were to move down here and go to a barbecue place and eat and you're done with your meal and the server comes up and looks at you and says, "Uh, do you want some nanner pudding? You may say, what in the world is that? What is that, y'all? What is it? Southerners in here, tell me what it is. What's nanner pudding? Banana pudding. You may hear somebody say, yeah, I got to go uh, get me some new paints so I can go to work tomorrow. And you may think to yourself, is he talking about like? paint for a wall that you put on a wall. No, they may be talking about that or they may be talking about actual paints. You know what I mean? Like paints. In a similar vein, uh, drawers. Drawers, okay? The definition of drawers in the South is apparel that has leg holes. It could refer to pants. It could refer to jeans. It could refer to underwear, okay? But it's any apparel that has leg holes. Let me put my drawers on, and we can go. Is everybody with me? Say amen. You may be from the north or from somewhere else in the country, and somebody says knee-high, uses the phrase knee-high, and you're like, what in the world? Man, I've known her since she was knee-high, and you're going, what does that mean, okay? That means since they were little bitty, knee-high to a grasshopper, some of us say, like, you don't understand maybe what this means. How about this one, y'all? Y'all know what this one is? That dog won't hunt. Anybody know what that phrase means? It means it ain't gonna work, It's not going to work. And maybe that confuses you. You're like, that dog won't hunt. What in the world are they talking about? I wanted to use another phrase, but I decided to use one that was more appropriate for a Sunday morning from the platform. Uh, As useful as a trap door on a canoe. That's not good if somebody says that about you. It means you're useless. How about the phrases we have for people, such as Bubba? You know what Bubba means, right? It could mean someone's brother, or it could mean any other male in the room. What's up, Bubba? What's up, Bubba? Uh, Same thing goes with uh, Missy. Missy could be someone named Missy, a female named Missy, or any other female person in the room. How about when we refer to people as old lady or old man? The word that comes before old lady or old man is very distinct in the South, okay? Okay when it's singular such as my old lady or my old man it refers to one's wife or one's husband and it's not in a derogatory manner in the south okay i would never call my wife old lady okay but, but like it's not necessarily meant to be derogatory when you say the old lady or the old man that refers to your mother or your father again so did i hear a car horn or am i losing my mind Okay, did everybody hear it over here? Okay, okay, I'm just making sure. Somebody's alarm was going off, okay? But it's not in a derogatory manner. The versus my. Y'all know what y'all means. You hear me say y'all all all the time. That means multiple people, not including the speaker, okay? So when I say y'all are sinners, I'm not a sinner. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that. How about this one? What emotion does this phrase bring out? A pig and slop happy, right? He's happier than a pig and slop. Now, if you're not from here and you're from like Maryland or somewhere up there, you know what I mean? You're like, what? We don't even have pigs. What are you talking about? What does that even mean? Is that an insult? Is that bad? I don't know. How about this? You ever know anybody that could talk the bark off a tree? It <laughs> means they won't shut up. They could talk the bark off a tree. And just one more, if anybody ever looks at you and says you're one fry short of a Happy Meal, that means you're crazy. lights are on, nobody's home, you know what I'm saying? Like, the engine's running, ain't nobody driving, that is bad, okay? That's southern slang for uh, you're dumb or you're crazy. Well, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, and it's almost like they're Yankees that have moved down south. They can understand most of what's being said but when these people start to speak in the lystra dialect and specific languages like the south they don't understand what's going on they have no clue they cannot understand these differences that they have in their language so watch what happens when they figure out what's really going on in verse 14 but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard of this they tore their clothes Tearing your clothes for Jews was a traditional sign of blasphemy or mourning. He's really upset. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human. What a great line for you to remember about preachers and teachers and pastors. We too, More on that in a minute. We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. Interesting little note when he says who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them, this is a direct reference uh, to Zeus, Prometheus, and Athena or what's otherwise known as the three realms of the Greek cosmos. So once again, Paul is trying to speak effectively. He's speaking to the culture and he's letting them know they didn't create it, the one true God created it in verse 16. In the past. He let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. Rain was very scarce here. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Paul and Barnabas realize, and this is so important. If you get anything from this message, listen to the next like three or five minutes they realize that the people are not accepting the message of the gospel. They're worshiping the messengers that God sent with the gospel. And y'all, I'm just going to tell you, in Americanized Christianity today, we have the exact same issue in that people create false idols out of pastors and preachers. We call them celebrity pastors. You can call them TV evangelists. You can call them whatever you want. Somebody that's got a following, so to speak. All of us, listen, I think all of us have a bend to make it easier to put our trust and faith in a tangible human being than in an unseen God that we've never tangibly seen. I've thought to myself before that I really believe all of us are a little bit like Thomas. I've had thoughts in my mind before like, man, I wish I was one of the guys. I wish I was one of the 500 witnesses that saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead because I think that would make my faith so much easier, so much easier to feel the nail-scarred hands We need to be careful because the same thing the Lystrans did is the same thing that is happening all over the church, not just in America, but in the world today, in that we're making very, very bad, poor idols out of people that are just human beings, just like y'all. Does that make sense to everybody? I love the line Paul says, we are human beings just like you guys. Listen, I understand we have to have a balance between honoring the office and the position of pastor or youth pastor or children's minister. We want to honor those positions, but we cannot let that bleed into worshiping people. We've got to understand that the leaders in the church are human beings, and we're just as broken and sinful as anybody else does that make sense to everybody say amen I mean I get it the, the scripture says imitate your leaders imitate your leaders as long as they're pointing everything to Christ that's the idea in scripture not to myself I heard a story about three pastors that went on a trip together to a conference and it was a real spiritual retreat and uh just, you know, one of those retreats where God just spoke to all three of the pastors, and they were driving home in a band together. And the pastor that was driving, he was just like, you know, guys, talking to the other two pastors, I, I just, man, it's been an incredible week. I'm so glad I got to go on this retreat with you guys. I feel so close to you guys. I just want to make a confession to you. I've been struggling with gambling. We don't have any money left because, you know, I've gambled it all away. We don't even know how we're going to pay our house payment next month. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I need to tell the church, well, you guys just pray for me because I've got this stronghold in my life. And the other two pastors, they're like, yes, yes, we're going to pray for you, brother. Well, then the second pastor speaks up after this pastor does it almost immediately. And he says, guys, you know, I'm just going to confess something too. I've been struggling with lust. You know, I've... I've had a pornography addiction, and I've been struggling with lust, and and it's just tearing my marriage apart. And I don't know what I'm going to do in my family, and I'm, I'm just tore up, and it's ruining my church, and I don't know if I should resign. Will you guys pray for me? And they're like, Oh yeah, brother, we'll pray for you. Well, the third pastor is dead quiet, doesn't say a word. Five or ten minutes go by, and one of the pastors that's already confesses asked the third. They say. Surely you've got something to confess to. Why are you being quiet? I mean, what's, what's going on, man? Are you just scared to tell us or what? This third pastor says, no, 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 I'll confess to you. As I'll tell you what my struggle is. I struggle with gossip, and I can't wait to get home, you know? <laughs> tell everybody about what y'all been doing, you know? The idea is this. Pastors are broken, and we're not perfect. Some of y'all have put your trust in pastors or church leaders, and you've walked away completely devastated because they've let you down. Because we have this tendency of doing that because we're human beings just like you. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. So we've got to get past the place in the church where, yes, we, we honor, we respect we, f- we follow, we, we're, we're under that authority of leadership in the church and when they speak into your life, you're going to listen and stuff like that, but we do not worship. We worship one person and his name is Jesus because he died for us and he was the only one that was perfect. See, Thomas Constable once said this, If Satan cannot derail Christian witness with persecution he will try praise. Notice, uh, and we'll, we'll reframe this at the end of this when we summarize everything. Paul and Barnabas are enduring the persecution, but don't you think maybe the hardest thing for them to endure was when the people were trying to worship them? When the enemy says, well, we can't get them through this, so let's try flattery. Maybe we can get them that way. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Skip Heitzig, one of my favorite preachers, says about this particular verse, some people can sail so close to the lake of fire and pride that their sails get singed. I'll repeat this later, but the idea is first the enemy is going to tell you how worthless you are, then the enemy is going to whisper in your ear, your God to be worshipped. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen both ways you get off track. First Timothy chapter 3, there's a reason why it tells us that pastors should not be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. This is a picture of what happened with Satan. He starts to be worshiped, he gets puffed up, Paul and Barnabas have an opposite response. They're trying to talk sense into these people. Let's continue in verse 18. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Here's our last few verses, and then we'll summarize it. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Okay, These are the people that have been following Paul and Barnabas around. They're on every Facebook post hating on Paul and Barnabas. You know what I'm saying? They got haters that are literally steps behind them just to try to turn people against them. Remember, when God does a work, Satan does a work. Wherever God's working, that's where Satan's going to work, okay? Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the previous cities they were in, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. Remember, replace stoned with kill, okay? They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Most scholars believe that Paul actually was dead here. In fact, it's been speculated that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul talks about how he went to heaven and he saw the third heaven, if you go read that, uh, most believe that this was the moment Paul does that because stoning was so efficient at killing people. I mean, it was a death sentence. It would be like someone being strapped to the electric chair and they shock them, and then somehow they survive. doesn't happen, right? Verse 20, But after the disciples had gathered around him, let me read that again because this is a very important point. After the disciples had gathered around him, probably praying, gathered around him, maybe holding hands, praying, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Leadership lessons from Acts chapter 14. And this applies To anyone that wants to be a Paul and Barnabas and get into ministry, you feel the call to be a pastor, a missionary, you want to step up into a high level leadership role in a church, at Rev. Church, at any church. You think you're called to be a church planner. You're trying to lead your family. So for all the men in here, this absolutely applies. Or in your everyday walk, every one of these absolutely applies to your everyday walk with Christ. Number one, leadership lesson from Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. Leadership is full of highs and lows. It's the penthouse and it's the outhouse. I have said before, that being in ministry and really trying to do God's will and listen to His voice and do everything He tells you to do is one of the most manic-depressive jobs that there is on the planet. It's the highest of the highs, and it's the lowest of the lows. You preach to hundreds of people, and people are getting saved one day, and the next day, one of your best friends is stabbing you in the back. You got people getting saved in the synagogue one day, like Paul and Barnabas. Jews getting saved— God-fearing Greeks getting saved. Starting a church, and the next day, those same haters that have been following you through every city you've been through are showing up, turning people against you. The highest of the highs, the lowest of the lows. Number two, mistakes will be made. Mistakes will be made. Paul makes a very (laughs) grave mistake, really, for all intents and purposes, right? By omitting the name of Christ. He would never make it again. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to try to lead your family, listen to me, you absolutely will make mistakes. You're not perfect. You're not Jesus. Quit thinking you will be. Accept the grace of God in your life and move forward. I'm getting ahead of myself. But mistakes will be made. How many of y'all know you're going to make mistakes? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of y'all know that your neighbor is going to make mistakes? Raise your hand. A few more hands went up that time. I don't know. Yeah, I know they will. Number three, people will misinterpret you and lie about you. And I've already alluded to this in two different ways. The enemy will come in and cause people or will whisper in your ear and send thoughts into your mind first saying, you're worthless, you can't do this, you can't lead your family, you can't be a preacher, you can't go into ministry, who are you to think you don't know enough Bible, you don't have a pedigree, you're the first Christian in your family, you're the first educated person in your family, there's no way you can do this, but then if that doesn't work, the enemy's going to come in and say, you're a God to be worshipped and probably send some people around you that are going to worship you just like Paul and Barnabas. Both of those are lies. Is everybody with me? You're not God and you're not Jesus. But you can do what God's called you to do through the power of the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of Christ in you if you're saved. Make sense, Rev. Church? Big balance there. Big balance. Number, what are we on, four? Here's a big one. Here's a big one. I did these. I know these are leadership. They may be weird to you, but I hope they help you. Those who praise might one day stone. Remember that? Those who praise might one day stone. Three days before Jesus was crucified, when he was walking in Jerusalem, what were the people doing? They were laying down palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, King of Kings, Most High. Three days later, those exact same people were screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You better know who you're serving, and you better not be serving men and women. Paul and Barnabas are worshipped one day. They're making sacrifices. These are Zeus and Hermes, and the next day, they're getting stoned to death by the exact same people. See, these are leadership lessons for the potential Paul and Barnabas is in here that feel called to ministry, but I think we all struggle with this. Ministry has a way of drawing people that want affirmation for whatever reason. They never told they were loved as a kid, but, but let me just speak for preachers, like pastors like me. I is as, I as one, so I can talk about me. I know me best. And every pastor I've ever seen, this is just the truth. This is what we struggle with. The reason we love preaching is because when we get off this stage, a lot of y'all come to us and you say, that was great, pastor. That was such a great sermon. Man, you are so gifted. That affirmation is what we seek. But sometimes the same people that are telling you that's a great sermon are the ones that are going to be running you down and gossiping about you. And if you don't know who you're serving and why you're doing this, you're not going to last. Everybody with me? Say amen. Those who deify will crucify. You don't get your affirmation. Listen, we're supposed to encourage people. I get that. That's what, that's a spiritual gift. I get it, okay? But we do not do ministry. We do not preach. We do not follow Christ for the approval of men. We do it for the approval of God. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. Number five, you can't make it alone. I've said, I think this is the fourth time, stoning was a very efficient way to kill people. So, most likely, I believe Paul is dead after he's stoned. In verse 20, I believe it tells us the reason Paul was resurrected after the disciples had gathered around him. You cannot make it alone if you're a leader. If you're a Christian, you can't make it alone. Some of y'all are in here right now and you're on fire for Jesus, but if you don't get the right people around you, so that the day you wake up and you feel like you've been stoned and you're dead, they gather around you and lift you up and you're resurrected from the dead as a result of borrowing some of their faith, you're never gonna last following Christ. There's the great lie that is going around, especially in American Christianity today, that says, I don't need the church. I don't even need to go to church. I'll just watch online. If you're watching online, we're really glad you're watching online, but you're missing out on a big chunk of Christianity by not being here live. Some of y'all can't. I get it. And some of y'all that are here live, you need to sign up for group. You need to find some people that will gather around you so that you can find freedom from your yesterdays, so that when you've got burdens that you can't bear, there's people that will bear burdens for you. So that when you're in the middle of a war and you've got to keep those arms raised, you've got people that are going to come and hold your arms up for you. It happens to every single one of us, even Paul. You need Christian community if you're going to make it. Make sense? Last one. Everybody with me? Say, I am. Super serious today, isn't it? Don't give up on your mission. Don't give up on your mission. Paul's raised from the dead. All these things happen. What did it say he did? What did it say in verse 20? After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Don't give up on your mission. Go right back into the city. You want a really good definition of success? Longevity. You want a really good definition of what it means to be a successful Christian? It means you don't give up. It means you do the best you can to do everything he says to do. But when you mess up, when things go wrong, when you struggle in your faith, you don't don't give up. You stick with it. You put your head down, and you push forward. If you're a leader in here, you want to know how to defeat your critics? One simple way, you outlast them. You outlast them. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We run the race to completion. Paul said when he was getting ready to be killed, he writes a letter to Timothy, one of his, one of his main guys, his right-hand guy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. You don't give up on your mission. I was watching a video on Instagram or YouTube or something the other day of a a veteran that was running a marathon and there was like a hundred feet left to this marathon but his body just shut down on him if you've ever seen one of those videos like his body just would not function correctly he was too dehydrated his muscles were too exhausted his brain wasn't even functioning right and he could not stand up and run and so this guy literally is laying belly first on the ground crawling to get to the end because he's running the name of three soldiers that have died. And he said, I was going to get across that finish line even if it killed me. He said something even more interesting. He said, said, the reason I made it across the finish line is because of my training in the military. We make it because of our training, y'all. And even if we got to crawl through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the penthouse and the outhouse, We crawl and we do not give up on our mission. You can make it. Because of Christ, you can make it. Fair enough, Rev. Church? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you so much for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. Thanks so much for the book of Acts. Uh, Man, what a great chapter. Rich with so much wisdom. Uh, Such great theology. God, I pray for your church that you give us the strength to be obedient for what it is you're calling us to do individually and corporately. I pray for everyone in here that's struggling, that they do not give up and they do not turn away from you. I pray for those that need community, that they will not wait for community to find them and be a consumer, but that they will They will pursue community with other believers. There's some young men in here right now that need to get away from all the idiots that they're playing video games with, and they need to find an older man that doesn't even know what a video game is, that loves Jesus, has loved his wife, and lived a good long life following the Lord, and they need to beg him to pour all of that wisdom into them. So I pray that happens, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.